Well, I've got a lot that the Lord has put in my heart to share with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Now, if you were here last week for Father's Day, and man, what a blessing for Father's Day. I, I love Father's Day at Hope Church. I'll tell you, it, it, I loved it. I loved every part of it, especially the sausage gravy fountain. Come on. I mean, guys, sausage gravy, chicken nuggets with sausage gravy, that's just brilliant. Biscuits, gravy, sausage, chicken nuggets, come on. But even more importantly, man, I'll tell you what, having your kids pray for you as a dad and your wife pray for you as a dad, uh, there's nothing better than that, right? Just so encouraging, and just we celebrated dads last week. But really, the, the message that God put on my heart to share with you about uh, the love of the Father, uh, honestly, I love, I shared with you this quote from A.W. Tozer, and I love it. He says that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. And I believe that's really true. I think it is so absolutely critical how we see God from the right perspective. Not who we think he is, not who we've told he's been, but who he really is. And he's a good, good father, amen? But then I was asking the Holy Spirit, and we're kind of in this summer season. During the summer, we kind of take a break a little bit from a message series, and we're calling it just Summer of Hope, where each week, and this is fun for me as a pastor and preacher, where each week I just get to say, God, what do you want to speak this week? And, and just press into that. And as I was praying and asking the Lord what he wanted to speak this week, I felt like he wanted me to pick up where we left off on Father's Day. Because I do believe the most important thing about us is what we think about God. But then I think the second most important thing is what we think about what God thinks about us and how we see ourselves. And if we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us, we're also going to have some problems. And it's so important that we see God the right way but it's equally as important that we see ourselves the right way so that we can continue in our identity as sons and daughters and begin to be changed because of who God says we are and how we see ourselves. And for many of us, this is an area that we struggle. We struggle seeing how God could even call us a son or daughter, how he could love us and accept us. And, and as we learned last week, that because of Jesus Christ. How many of you are grateful for Jesus? Man, I'm so grateful. It's all about Jesus. I'm so grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for the finished work on the cross. I'm thankful that he came and he chose to live a sinless life and show us the way of the Father, show us what God looks like, and then he sacrificed his life on the cross and he died as me, for me, so that now when God sees me, he doesn't see me and my brokenness. We see that. I see all my flaws. I see my past. I see my pain. I see all my weaknesses. I see my sin. And because of that, I can have a distorted view of how God sees me. And let me put it to you this way. I, I see all this brokenness in me, and I don't see how God can't see it. But this is how God looks at you. Jesus steps in front of you and says, look at me. And all he sees is his perfect son in whom he loves and whom he's well pleased. And because of that, 
we can see ourselves in that same way. And so we're going to look at this portion of Scripture. Paul is speaking to the church in Galatia. And they're struggling. They're struggling to see themselves the way that God sees them. And because they're struggling to see themselves the way that God sees them, they're trying to slip back into uh, going by the law, which is really performance. They're trying to do good so that God will accept them. And they're slipping back into those old habits and those old ways. And Paul would address it here. And I think for a lot of us, if we're not careful, we could hear that God loves us. We can even encounter and experience God's love, but then we can just as easily slip right back in living as a slave, not as a son or daughter whom God loves and whom's well pleased. So we're gonna look at this. Would you do me a favor? Would you stay on your feet for the reading of the word of God? Just to honor the word of God this morning. I want to read this to you, Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9 of the New International Version. Paul says this, Because you are sons, because you are daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now that was a very intimate term, similar to what we would call Daddy. It speaks of the intimacy that the connection of knowing God puts in us, that we could cry out, Daddy, God. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Would you pray with me? And what I'd like you to do, because I really believe that God wants to set some of us free this morning. He wants to set some of us free from knowing in our head that we're a son, we're a daughter, but continuing to live like slaves. So I want you to put your hand on your heart, and I want us to invite the Holy Spirit to just come and just sift our hearts this morning and to really just wash away, to begin to wash away and erode some of the lies that we believed about ourselves, some of the things, the false self-images that we've taken on that the Holy Spirit needs to just wash out of our soul so that that new identity in Christ can really be formed in us. So Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would open every heart to not only hear your word, but let your word begin to transform us from the inside out. God, I pray that your identity, who you say we are, through your word over us and through your word, would begin to take deep root in our soul. And God, that you would begin to weed out all the words that have been spoken over us, all the lies that we believed through experience, through abuse, through accidents, through failure. God, I pray that you would begin to wash it away. And I, begin, I pray that you would begin to speak the truth of who we are over each and every single person here today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. 
titled my message to you this morning is free to be me. Free to be me. When I was, I was thinking about what Paul said to the church in, in Galatia. And again, Paul was reminding them, listen, you, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And that's your identity. And because you're a son or daughter, you're also an heir with Christ. In other words, you are accepted. You are loved. You are adopted. You are forgiven. And you are free. And yet, for many of us, we have the same problem that they have. Paul was, a, was watching them operate, and he was taking note that they were going back to trying to go by the law. They were trying to perform. They were trying to earn God's approval, earn God's love, and, and through the things that they did. And Paul was saying, listen, do you really want to go back there? Do you want to be enslaved all over again and have that burden on you? You got free of that. That's no longer who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. You can cry out, Abba, Father. You, you have this access to Father God who loves you and wants to have this intimate relationship with you. And by the way, you're also an heir, which means that all things that, that God has, he also has for you. That you have a rich inheritance. And too many, I remember, I think it was C.S. Lewis, he gave the analogy of being on a cruise ship uh, and having access to this, you know, buffet of luscious, delicious food, yet sitting down underneath in, in the corner eating saltine crackers or something like that. And I think that's the way a lot of us continue to do the Christian life. We don't, we don't actually live as sons and daughters, and, and we don't see ourselves and live as loved people, as beloved by God, as accepted by him. I love what George MacDonald said. George MacDonald said, since we are the sons of God, we must become the sons of God. Since we are the sons of God, we must become the sons of God. And I love that because it is the, it, there's a theological principle of the now and not yet. God declares over you who you are, but you haven't seen the full manifestation or the outworking of the truth of who you are in your life yet. So you're a son, you're a daughter, and now all of us, we're in the process of becoming sons and daughters. And that is a process. And yet for many of us, like James would say, we hear the word spoken over us. We hear the truth of who God says we are, but unless we start to act like we believe it's true, that we're like a man or woman who looks at our mirror, like our face in the mirror, and then we go away and we forget who we are. And for many of us, I believe that's how we operate in our lives, is, is we come to church, we hear uh, messages like this preached, we read the word of God, we hear what God has said over us, how he sees us, his words over our life. Many of us, we've had prophetic words spoken over us, declaring who we are in Christ, and yet we hear those words and we don't act like we believe them. And in doing so, it's like we get a glimpse in a mirror of who God, how God sees us, but then because we don't actually, in faith, start to live out who we are, we walk away and forget what we look like. And I want to show you 
And I believe in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verse 17, we see this play out in the life of Jesus. But before I do that, I just want to share with you personally because um, I, I've actually lived this out. When I first became a pastor, many of you know my story, some of you don't. But I was in business before I became a pastor. And I was serving in the church faithfully. In fact, uh, one of the things I, I appreciate about my own story is, is that I was one of you. Like my wife and I, in this service, we'd be sitting right over there. That's the anointed section, by the way, you guys. So God is really blessing you over there. Uh, I remember one time my, my son, LJ, he had, uh, he had a little flag and in worship he would wave it. And it was like, a, you know, when the church used to have those fake trees on the stages and all that stuff. And, and uh, he was like doing this and we had a guest speaker. He's like, he called him out. He said, I like that young man over there who's whipping the tree, you know, and, and in worship. So my family and I, we used to worship right over there and we used to just go after But I used to serve in the church. I was the men's ministry director. I, my wife and I were community pastors. We led small groups. We were very, very active in the church. But I was in business and, and I got into business. God opened the door for me to get in business. And before that, I kind of struggled to find my, my niche, I guess you could say, where I could really thrive. But I started in business, and man, it just connected with me. There was something about it. I, I thrived in it. I did really well in it. There was goals. There was financial goals. There was bonuses. And I would hit those goals, my quota. I would go over them, hit the bonuses. And, and I started kind of moving up the corporate ladder, if you will. And, and by all intents and purposes, being very successful, making a very good amount of money. And, I, and that made me feel good about myself. And it made me feel good that I could provide for my family. Actually, it made me feel good. We were, we were tithers. We always believed in tithing and giving offerings over that. And, and I love that I was able to bless the church and give above and beyond you know, to the church and, and be a blessing in that way. And God was blessing me in business. But, but then he called me to be a pastor. My wife and I, we took three, three months to pray into it, ask people to pray with me. Some of you in this room prayed with us. God spoke through you to us and helped us confirm that that's who God called us to be. And, and so I tell people I, I had enough faith to say yes and enough naivety to not know what I was saying yes to. And, uh, and I share that with you, I joke, because being a lead pastor is no joke. <laughs> And uh, it, it has probably challenged me to my core. And yet, at the same time, it's been probably the most fulfilling thing outside of being a husband and a father in my life. And it's the greatest honor of my life to be your pastor. But it hasn't come without struggles. And after, um, in that first year when I became pastor in the spring, in fact, it's coming up on 10 years, September 8th, but I remember in the spring of that first year, as I was pastor, I kind of hit a wall. I went through this really funky season where I was in a funk. Now, mind you, you would never know that. I mean, God anoints you to do what he's doing. And part of the challenge as a spiritual leader is you have your own things that you're wrestling with oftentimes behind the scenes that nobody sees. And I was wrestling behind the scenes, I felt very, I felt the best way to describe it is I felt lost. I felt like, man, did God pick the right guy? Like, I don't think I can do this. This is way bigger than I knew. I just felt very lost. 
And, and I started doing all the things that I know to do to kind of spiritually strengthen myself and kind of pull, pull out of something like that. I was reading the Word, spending time with God, had my own worship time, you know, in private to do some spiritual warfare and try to break out of that rut that I felt stuck in. And nothing seemed to work. Nothing seemed to be getting me out of it. And so I started asking, God, what is going on inside of me? I remember one morning in my quiet time, I was asking him that question. And he said to me, this clear in my spirit, I, I didn't hear, I, I never really feel like I've heard God's audible voice, but God speaks to me in my spirit. I think that's the way he speaks to most of us. And I remember in my spirit, I heard, Lance, I need you to not be a businessman. I need you to be my son and the pastor that I've called you to be. And then as I started praying into that and asking the Lord, like, what, what does that mean? He says, you still see yourself as a successful businessman, but you're not in that season anymore. And I need you to embrace the identity that I have for you and the call that I have on your life. And then it hit me. I felt so lost because everything that I built my self-image on and my identity on was as a successful business person that I was, I, I made money, and because I made money, I was able to provide for my family, and that made me feel good. I found value in that. I found self-worth in that. Uh, I was able to achieve and perform at a high level and got accolades from my company and from my boss, and that fed into me feeling good about myself because I was able to perform at a high level, and I was able to do some things and achieve some things. And he says, and now I'm in a place where I don't, I don't know what, what it means to be a successful pastor. I mean, because, the, the, you know, the typical pastor thing is how many butts and seats and how many dollars in the buckets, butts and buckets. And, and I'm like, you know, but I'm smart enough. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm smart enough to know just because people come to my church doesn't mean they're growing spiritually. And you could be an attender but you cannot be a part of what God is doing. And so I'm like, that doesn't really work for a metric, but yet I'm, I'm not Superman. I can't see into people's hearts. I can't see if they're changing. So I, I felt lost. Like, I don't know if I'm winning. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. I, I don't know. And, and I felt so lost inside. And God said, no, you're my son in whom I loved and I'm well pleased. And I, I had to start allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of just, by layers start to strip off how I saw myself so that he could build me back up into my true identity. And I think for a lot of us, this is an area we struggle and we don't even realize it. We don't realize that from the time we were young that there are certain ways that we grew up and from our families of origin that our parents spoke over us or the way they treated us or brother or sister treated us and things that, words that were said over us or failures or accidents or life experience that have tried to tell you who you are and who you're not. And even some people have come out and say, that's not you. This is and over time, 
And, and then on top of it, we have the real enemy of our soul that doesn't want you to know your real, true identity in Christ as a son and daughter that is loved, that is forgiven, that is free to be mean. He doesn't want that. So what he does is he jumps on every, everything that's happened to your life and he comes on. The, the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren which means that he comes alongside and says, see, you're a failure, this, and he wants to make it personal. In other words, you didn't just fail a test, you're a failure. You didn't just sin, you're a sinner. You didn't just fail, you're a failure. He wants it to be personal because he knows if you'll internalize it, you'll start to build the way that you see yourself around a prison of lies. And if we're not careful, we could fall back into bondage. The Bible says, behold, all things have become new. Old things have passed away. All things are new. And we could believe that God sees us as a son of God, but we could still live like a slave. And, and you see this play out in the life of Jesus. Watch this. Now, I don't know how many of you ever thought about this. Maybe this is just a pastor thing. But Jesus is alive on earth for 30, day, 30 years. 30 years. And we don't know much about him because the Bible doesn't, doesn't record much about his early years, his child development, and all up to his 30s. But keep in mind, the average lifespan back then wasn't much bigger than over 30. 30 years, the Son of God has lived on earth. And what has he done? Nothing. We don't hear about anything. We don't hear about miracles. We don't hear about great teachings. We don't hear about anything in his life. And now... He's about 30 years old, and he's about to start his earthly ministry, what he was called to do, what he was destined to do. And I want to show you the account of it, because it's in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. It's when Jesus comes out, and it's time. It's time for him to step into his calling, his purpose, his identity. And he's coming to get baptized, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he comes to John the Baptist and says, I need to be baptized. And he says, oh, you need to baptize me. I'm not even fit to untie your sandals. And he says, no, this is necessary. It must happen. And so John baptizes him. And if you know the story, he goes down in the water. And when he comes up, it says the Spirit of God in the form of a dove kind of just landed on him. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit's anointing that came on Jesus' life. But it also says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, identity, whom I love, acceptance, with him I am well pleased. You're my son, I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. Now I kind of get the first two, right? This is his son, he's the son of God, and, and God loves him. But the first, third one, if I'm going to be honest with you, messes with me a little bit. Maybe it's my perfectionistic tendencies. But I'm like, wait, how are you well pleased when he hasn't done anything yet? He's saying that he's well pleased with them, but he hasn't done anything. He hasn't performed. He hasn't done a miracle. He hasn't taught anything. He hasn't loved on anybody. He's just been. He just was. He was the son who was loved and whom God was well pleased. And this is exactly how we have to see ourselves and know that we are a son or a daughter whom God loves and he's well pleased. And it's 
in that identity as a son or daughter, knowing that you're loved and knowing that you're accepted, not by what you do, but who you are, that empowers you to live out your identity and your calling and to be who God called you to be. But too many of us, the problem is we're trying to be without knowing who we are and being empowered through who we are. So now Jesus, he gets anointed by God and, and God speaks this is my son in whom I'm loved and I'm well pleased. He has that and now he's launched into his earthly ministry. And what's the first thing that happens? Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by what? The spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now I'm going to pause there a second. Because this verse always confused me. I don't know about you, but I was like, why would the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? Why would he do that? Now, I don't think we understand fully. I want to give us a little bit different perspective on that verse. That word wilderness is the word edemos. And, and it's, that's the Greek word, the original language that that word wilderness means. Let me give you a broader definition through looking at the Greek word edemos, what it, what it really means. It means a lonely place. A place where you're alone. A place where there's nobody else around. Can I give you a little bit different perspective that Jesus, knowing, now getting his identity, knowing what he was called to do, knew that he needed to be in a place alone with God, fasting and praying and being empowered in his spirit for 40 days so that he could be who God called him to be, so that he could do what God called him to do. And look what it says. After verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah, where's my Uber Eats? Come on. After 40 days of, of prayer and fasting, I would think he would be hungry. He was human after all. I think we forget that sometimes. Verse 3, and it says, the tempter came to him and said, and you got to get this, if you are the son of God, if now, what did God just tell him? God just spoke over him. A voice came from heaven, said, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased. And what is the very first thing the devil came and attacked? His identity, who he was. What the word of God that defined him was spoken over his life. And let me tell you, you and I are no different. God will speak words over it. We'll read words in the Bible about who God says we are. We'll hear it from preaching like this. And yet, the very first thing when you go out those doors, when you hit that pavement, when you get in that car, when you hit the ground, your feet hit the ground on a Monday morning and you start going to work, is did God really say, are you really? He will attack the very fabric because he knows that if he could shake the foundation of who you think you are, that he can kill and destroy what God has called you to be and what God has called you to do. But look at how Jesus answers, verse four. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was reminding the devil, listen, I heard it. He spoke it. I believe it. I'm not just living on physical bread. My food 
is what God has spoken over me and his word is true and you're a liar. So you can go to hell <laughs> where you belong. And so I think this is important that we get this because for many of us, this is exactly what happens. The enemy comes and he makes us question God's word. Surely God can't love me because of what I did. Surely he can't be proud of me because I've got these bad habits and patterns in my life and I'm still, I'm saved, but I'm still living like my old life. I'm saved and I'm, I'm going to heaven, but I'm living like earth. I'm living like a slave. I'm not living like a son. I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He was a pastor, a preacher. He said, we're all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten our names. We have all forgotten what we really are. And so this is something that we have to understand. Too many of us, we're trying to live the Christian life and we want to change. We realize that there's things in our life, and this is, this is natural, this is called the sanctification process. It is that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And, and as we behold him, right? In Corinthians, Paul would talk about how we're changed. We're changed by beholding Jesus, by looking at him, by looking at the words God's spoken over our lives, contemplating them, meditating on them. This is why we have to not just read the word of God. I believe too many of us in our 21st century fast-paced culture, we're skimming the word of God. We're, listen, skimming the word of God is not gonna cut it. You gotta meditate on it. You gotta chew on it a little bit. You gotta let it get deep down in your spirit. What does the word of God say? Young people, it says, I will not sin against God. Why? Because I've hidden your word in my heart. I didn't just chew it like a stick of gum and spit it out. I let it go deep down into my spirit and out of my spirit, I can draw it up. And remember, God did say, I'm a son, I'm a daughter whom God loves and he's well pleased. We have to understand, we try to, we try to change our behavior or modify our behavior so that we can be pleasing to God. That's outcome. And some of us even go a layer deeper, which is we try to change our process, what we do, our habits. And it's a good thing to have holy habits, but even holy habits won't stick if you don't go to the deepest layer of change. Real change requires, requires identity change. I cannot see myself, and in a great book called Atomic Habits, James Clear, the author, he makes a great analogy. He said it's like somebody trying to change and you've been a smoker all your life, and yet you're trying to quit smoking. And somebody comes and offers you a cigarette, and you say, oh, no, thank you. I'm trying to quit. And you, and you don't take the cigarette and you don't smoke, and that's good. But then person number two, they come up to him and offer him a cigarette, and they says, oh, no, thank you. I'm not a smoker. Do you see the difference? One is I'm a smoker who's trying to quit or not be that, but that's who I am, versus I'm not a smoker, and because I'm not a smoker, I don't need to smoke. I'm done with that. That's not me. That's not who I am. And yet the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, will come at you and say, no, you're never going to change. You're always going to be a sinner. You're always going to be stuck in that sin. 
God's never going to be pleased with you. He's never going to like you. Look at your past. He's going to continually throw these things up to you. And if you start believing his lies, you do just like the church in Galatia that Paul was speaking to you. You just put your hands up and put the cuffs on. Because I'm a slave again. I'm a slave to the lies. I'm a slave to my old way of living. Now look at every time God was going to begin to change somebody that he wanted, he had a destiny, he had a calling on their life. Do you know what he did? Changed their name. Abram, you're no longer Abram. From now on, you will be called Abraham. You want to know the difference? It all was according to the destiny and call that was on Abram's life. Abram means exalted father. Exalted father is the father of one. God called him to be a father of nations. God took him out of his tent. See, some of us, oh man, the Holy Spirit just told me, some of us are thinking too small. Abraham was in his tent. He's looking at the top of his tent, and that was the ceiling over his life. And God had to take him out. He said, Abraham, get out of your tent. And he comes out of his tent and he says, you see the stars in the sky? And can you, could you imagine a nice Montana night where you're camping out where there's no lights, light pollution, and you could see the Milky Way and you could see millions of stars in the sky. And Abraham sees all the stars and he says, so shall your descendants be. You will not just be a father of one, you will be a father of nations. And in order for you to believe it, I need to change your name because you need to start to see yourself as a father of nations. He didn't stop there. He went to Sarai. He said, Sarai, no longer you will be called Sarai, which means princess. From now on, you will be called Sarah, which means mother of nations. Because I need you to see yourself as a mother of nations, not just a princess. Princess, good. But I got a bigger calling. I got a bigger destiny on your life. Look at when he, I love this, when he comes to uh, Jacob. Jacob's name means supplanter, which means deceiver or trickster. Everything in Jacob's life he did out of his identity, coming out of the womb, grabbing onto his brother. I'm going to be first. I'm going to make this happen in my own strength, in my own power. Think about it. A deceiver, he was always manipulating situations for his benefit. So now Jacob is later in life, and he's tired, and he's worn down. And in Christophany, which is when Jesus would show up in angelic form, Jesus shows up in angelic form, and he says, enough is enough. Just like I believe today. Heaven is saying, enough is enough. Heaven is saying, it's time. And Christ shows up in angelic form and begins to wrestle with Jacob. Why wrestle? Because he wanted to wear him down out of his own strength and his own ability. Because up to that point, Jacob has learned to identify with being a deceiver and trying to manipulate every situation out of his own strength to get what he wants. And so Jesus shows up, wrestles with him to the break of day, and he thinks, like, he even says, let me go. Like, this is enough. And I love what Jacob says. Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. What's the blessing? The blessing is, he says, fine, you want the blessing? No longer shall you be called Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. For your name shall mean having power with God. 
No longer do you have to, in your own strength, in your own manipulation, own deceiving, try to get things that you need. From now on, you're going to operate out of the power of God. Yeah, you might walk with the limp, but you're going to learn, just like Paul had to do, that my grace, my power is sufficient for you. That my power is made perfect, not in your strengths, but in your weaknesses. And the devil has tricked some of you into believing the lie that you gotta be strong, that you gotta do it, you gotta make it happen. And God is saying, no, you just have to learn to lean into my grace. It's sufficient. In other words, it's enough for you. That's all you need. When Paul got that revelation, change, change things. He stopped asking for God to take away the thorn in his side. He stopped asking God to stop making him weak. And he started learning to live and overcome his weakness by the very grace of God. It's something that we all have to learn to do. And I'll preach it a whole nother message. But then moving on, God comes to Gideon. Gideon at the time, the Midianites were wreaking havoc on the Israelites. They were stealing their crops, which they weren't getting enough food, weren't getting enough nutrition, making them weak. And, and Gideon, he is hiding in a barn, in a threshing floor. He's hiding under some hay from the enemies. And check this out. God, through an angel, comes to him and says, Greetings, mighty warrior. What? He's a wimp. He's hiding. He's not a warrior. He's a wimp. He's hiding. He's a chicken. He's scared. And even when God says that, he's like, no, you got the wrong guy. You know, remember me? I'm hiding here. And by the way, I'm from the least tribes. I'm the weakest clan of the weakest. I'm the bottom of the food chain here, dude. You picked the wrong guy. I think you went to the wrong barn. This ain't me. But God says, you're a mighty warrior. And you know what? As he starts to, in faith, believe the word of God over him, God uses him in a mighty way to turn the tides and to defeat the Midianites, their enemy, and turn the tide in Israel. Fast forward to the New Testament. This man, Simon, brash fisherman, lives out of his emotions. One day he's up here, one day he's down here, says whatever he thinks. You know the kind of guy, right? Gets him in trouble, he's got a reputation. His name is Simon, which actually means to hear or to be heard, reputation. Come on, that's Simon. He's got a reputation. He's a loudmouth. This guy says whatever comes to his mind. He's brash, he's bold, but he's a little bit reckless. And now he meets Jesus for the very first time. And Jesus, knowing the destiny and call over his life, he says, Simon, no longer will you be called Simon. From now on, you will be called Peter, which means Petra, which means rock. You're going to be steady. You're going to be the rock that I use to build the foundation of my church. You're going to be foundational peace in the church moving forward. You are going to be a steady man. Yes, you're going to deny me. Yes, you're going to have moments where you fail, but I still believe in you. You're my Peter. You're my rock, and I'm going to use you. And I need you to start seeing yourself that way. Could you imagine? This is the very first time he's meeting Jesus, mind you. Could you imagine if you met Jesus for the first time and he says, no longer shall you be called Lance, son of Ed. From now on, you'll be called George. <laughs> Who are you? Like, dude, like, what? Right, but there's something in Peter that says, wow, can I really? Can I really be that? And there's something in him that resonates. So it's like when God speaks a word over you, there's something in your spirit 
that resonates within you. Why? Because that's who you were created to be. And too many of us, we've let things, we've let people, we've let words over time get on us. And because we believe those things, we start acting according to how we see ourselves, not how God sees ourselves. And this is why we can't change, because we're self-sabotaging our spiritual growth because we're believed lies about ourselves, and those lies about ourselves are sabotaging our relationship with God and our walk with God. So I got something I love. Pastor Craig Grissel says this, you do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. And so we have to change the way we see ourselves in order to embrace how God sees ourselves and be changed from the inside out. And I got a couple things practically that I believe that we can do for that. The first thing is this, we have to take off the false self. And this doesn't happen easy. In fact, a lot of us, we don't even know ourselves. We, we, we don't realize, just like I didn't, how I had taken on these false ideas about who I am. Now, think about it. I want, you to, I want to take you back to when Jesus was tempted in the, in the wilderness because I think there's three main temptations for us, just like the devil tried to put on Jesus that we can fall into that are traps. The first one was this. He told them, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. In other words, I need you to perform. I need you to do something to prove that you're the son of God. I need you to pull out your magic trick. You're hungry, right? So you want to provide for yourself, don't you? Well, prove that you're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread so that you can eat it. He was trying to get him to trick him into believing that he needed to do something to perform to prove that he was actually the son of God. And let me tell you, one of the greatest weapons the enemy will use in your life and my life to try to put on a false self on you is to try to get you to perform. And some of us, we've done that for years. We've tried to be something that we're not so that we could be the second thing, which is he wants, he tried to get Jesus to fall into the trap of popularity. And young people, you need to get this because I believe this is one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses in your life to trap you is that we all have this need to want to be accepted by other people, want to be valued by other people, honored, esteemed by other people, be part of the cool kids, the crowd, right? We all want that. That's built into us innately. But the devil tried to trick Jesus into throwing himself off a cliff and having angels catch him. Now, talk about being popular. You want to put that on Instagram reels? You're going to be popular real fast. Throw yourself off a cliff and angels come and catch you? Wow, dude, that's better than Cirque du Soleil. Like, that's amazing. And, and this is what the enemy was trying to trick him into doing is do something astounding. You got to make a name for yourself. You got to put yourself out there. And this is the greatest trick in this generation that I believe the enemy's doing, that if you don't put yourself out there on social media, you don't set yourself apart, you don't do something that wows people, that, that you're nothing, that you're not popular, that your self-identity gets so tied up into, I've, I've got to have people like me. I got to be popular so that I can be accepted and I can be loved. And the third thing 
is that he wants to get you sucked into the trap of taking your identity and attaching it to your possessions. Yeah, I got the big house on the hill. Look at my new car, my big truck, my big fish, my big buck. Sounds like a country song, doesn't it, Pastor David? (laughs) And it's funny, but the truth is, we fall into that trap. Look what I've been able to achieve. Look at the possessions that I have. And we start to identify ourselves with what we have until we don't have it anymore. And then we feel lost because my whole identity, I didn't realize it, but it was tied up in stuff, in what I, what I own. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit, just like I went through a process, and it was a process. I'm not gonna sit up here and lie to you that God all of a sudden, I had this revelation that I'd picked up false identities and all of a sudden God zapped me and I was free. It was a process of me continually coming to God and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to rush his living water over my soul and to slowly erode all my, my wrong ways of seeing myself. And then allowing God to build me back up. Talk about deconstruction. Deconstruction isn't always bad. In fact, I thought about calling this message the deconstruction of the false self. Because we need to allow God to come in and tear down the things that we have believed about ourselves that are not true, that are lies. In fact, it was funny when, um, when I went out to youth camp on Wednesday morning and just God moved powerfully in the ministry time. But then after, they played some games. They had a survivor theme and uh, they were playing some games and each one, you know, they have their tribe and stuff like that. And uh, one of the things that they were doing so that you can earn points was, uh, I don't know what they called it, but they would take different foods and put it in a blender, okay? And this could be like sardines and mustard. It could be chocolate syrup and pudding. And and some of you, I know it's close to lunchtime, and I apologize for this, the visual. But um, they lined up the kids, and they couldn't see what was going in the blender, but they had to volunteer to drink out of a cup, whatever was in that cup. And the first one to get it all down, they won and they would get points. And my son, Jonathan, happened to volunteer to go up first. And so they blend up all this stuff and everybody's like, oh, and they're looking at this cup with this stuff in it and it looks nasty. And I think my son even smelled it and was like, oh boy. And so then they say go and they all have to like chug it or drink it as fast as they can without puking. And uh, my son, he's like halfway down, and he's like, and it like, it's coming out, you know? And, and, but he finishes it, I was really proud. It was a proud father moment. Very proud, very proud of my son. And um, <laughs> he gets it down, but he comes in like second, but then he runs off, and I wasn't sure if he was gonna puke or just washing it down. And, but here's the best part, and this is the whole reason I tell you this, not to just churn your stomach, make you gag reflex go but um but they come back and then they tell them what was actually in the blender and the irony of it is there was nothing bad in the blender the mix it was like a snack pack vanilla pudding chocolate syrup honey buns and captain crunch and maybe a few other things i mean that's normal teenage food right i mean so come on to me that might be weird but that's what they eat so um 
Anyway, there was nothing wrong with it. When we told him there was nothing in it, he's like, what? No way. There had to be like some sardines or something weird in there. There was nothing in there. It was all in his head. And because he believed it was gross, he acted like it was gross. And I share that story with you because I believe that some of us, we believe the lies of the enemy and it's like drinking that stuff and even though in the cup is you're a son of God who's loved and accepted, forgiven and free, we go and we puke and we act like we're just, we're gross. God can't accept me, he can't love me because I'm still that old person. And we stay stuck in slavery and bondage. Let me tell you, in order to take off the false self, we must identify our false beliefs about ourselves. And so this is going to take some time of just being with God and letting the Holy Spirit pinpoint the things in our lives that we've been believing about ourselves. And the only way that we could do that is through, through the Word of God. You've got to get, listen, you have to get in the Word of God and let the Word of God define you. Got to let the word of God define you. Look at Ephesians 4.22 says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, listen, to put off the old self, the old way of living, the old thoughts about yourself, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And listen, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind. That's how you think about yourself, how you see yourselves. And then here's the kicker. Not only do you have to allow the Holy Spirit to start to take off the false self and to shift the way you see yourself and think about yourself, but now in verse 24, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You gotta put it on. I love, um, how many of you Lord of the Rings fans? It's great, nobody's gonna judge you here, it's all good. There's a moment in Lord of the Rings, if you know the character Stryker, it's kind of, kind of the main character, even though some of the other guys take, have more airtime. When we first meet Stryker, he's kind of like this dark, mysterious guy. He's in the corner of the, of the pub and he's got his hood over his head and he's smoking a pipe and he wants to be left alone and, and he wants to be obscure and nobody knows who he is. And, he, and, and really he's running. He's running from who he really is, his true identity. And there's this really cool moment when Lord Elrond, the elvish king, meets him face to face. And he kind of gets in his face a little bit. And I think some of us, we need people. We need brothers and sisters in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit sometimes to get on our face and say what Lord Elrond said to Stryker. He said this, Put aside the ranger and become who you were born to be. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit doesn't want to confront some of us this morning and say, hey, put away the deadbeat dad and become who you were born to be. Put away the perfectionist and become who you were born to be. Put away the addicted nature and become who you were born to be. Put away the failure become who you were born to be. You gotta put on the new self just like a caterpillar who's crawled in the mud and the dirt 
all his life. And then there's this moment of transformation when he goes into a secret place, into a dark place. Him alone. It's like God doing surgery on you. I believe God's doing surgery on some of your souls. And he wants to see yourself the way he sees you. He wants you to become everything that he's made you to be, meant for you to be, destined for you to be. But you got to put off the ranger so you can become who you were made to be in this caterpillar. It's in this cocoon. It's this period of time where he's shedding off the old self. And in the process, he's transforming into this beautiful butterfly who no longer has to just grovel on the ground and go through the dirt and the mud, but is free to fly. And free to be who he's meant to be all along. I'll end with this. Um, when my kids were younger, one of the fa my favorite movies to watch with them is, is a movie called Pan. It was a rendition of Peter Pan, and it was with Robin Williams. And it's a really cool version that our family just really liked a lot. And there's a moment in the movie now, uh, Robin Williams' character playing Peter Pan, they, they pick him up, they take him to Never Never Land. He's with the Lost Boys, and the Lost Boys are all excited. Peter Pan's back. He's going to save us from the bad guys. He's going to lead us just like he used to do. And yet... He doesn't remember who he is. He thinks he's a lawyer or whatever he is now. You know, he's, that's not him. He's, and he's not used, he doesn't like the dirty and eating the food. He doesn't even see the food because he lost his imagination of what could be. And he's in this place and all the, the, the lost boys, they're like, come on, there's a new leader, Rufio. And, and they're all like, this is Peter Pan. And Rufio's like, no, this isn't Peter Pan. He doesn't even act like it. Look at him, he can't even fight, which he can't. He's out of shape. He's lost his edge. He doesn't know who he is. And yet the lost, but they still believe that he's Peter Pan. So he says, if he's Peter Pan, I'm gonna challenge him to a fight. And he challenges him to a fight. And he's getting his butt kicked by this young guy and he's backed into a corner and all of a sudden this like fight comes out of him and he fights and he pins him down and then he kind of like drops the sword and backs up like oh my gosh I, where did that come from and in that moment all the lost boys kind of gather around him and there's this one little guy that comes up to him and and he starts pushing back the wrinkles on his face and massaging his face and pushing the skin back from his face and looking deep within his eyes and, and they're all gathered around watching and, and, and Pan doesn't know what he's doing but he's just pushing back the layers upon layers of who he thinks he is and there's a moment where he looks in his eyes and his eyes get real big and he says oh, there you are Peter there you are and all the little boys they just start running
the Holy Spirit wants to do a deep work in some of us. I know we're at the end of our service, but I don't want to miss a moment and an opportunity for God to remind you of who you really are. Begin to pour out His Spirit into your heart. Begin to wash away all the lies, the things that you believed about yourself so that you could be free to be me, to be who you really are. I mean, there might be some of you here today, maybe watching online, maybe in Eureka, where you, all your life you've felt lost, like you don't know who you are, what you're supposed to be doing, you're just living life, you're existing, but you're not really living. You're not living for a purpose, and you're here today, not by accident, but because God set you up. Because he wants to set your heart free to be who he's made you to be. But you got to surrender your life to Jesus. And accept him as your Lord and Savior. If that's you here today, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking. This is between you and God. God bless you, son. Greatest decision of your life. Anyone else? Don't miss your moment. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. I want to encourage you, if you just raise your hand, the Bible says if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. And you could know beyond a shadow of doubt that you are a son, a daughter of God. You are loved. You are accepted by him. And you could pray a prayer. We have our amazing prayer team over here to my left. Immediately after service, I would encourage you to go and pray with somebody and seal that in your heart. But I believe there's a second group of us this morning that God wants to do something in. Those of us that would say, Pastor Lance, you're speaking right to my spirit today. God set me up for this message. There's things in my life that I have believed lies about who I am. Today, I want to let go of those. I want to take those off, and I want to fully put on my new identity in Christ. If that's you, just put your hand up. First service, almost 75% of the people in the room. It's nothing to be ashamed of. I already told you that something I struggled with. Now, if you raise your hand, I just want you to stand Stand to your feet. I want us all to stand. I want to pray over you. And then Jess is going to lead us in a final song. And I want you to let and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the song that she's going to sing. Would you put your hand on your heart one more time? Holy Spirit, just begin to invite the Holy Spirit to come right now. I believe some of us need to give permission for God to come in and begin to do heart surgery come in with his word and like sharper than a scalpel and to take out the cancer of the lies and the false identities that we've taken on. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to come now and remove every lie, every false identity. We tear it down right now and take it into obedience to Christ. 
by the power of your word over us, God, that is stronger than any lie, any accusation. We send it to the feet of Jesus, to the foot of the cross. We consider it dead. Paul would say, we reckon it dead and buried with Christ. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Come on, I'm declaring that over you this morning. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. Say it with me. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. One more time. Behold, the old is gone. The new has come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.